It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, Koshi here with a small favour. Each year we run a subscriber survey to help us understand our audience and what we can do to help you be a better investor. I'd love you to fill it out. You can find it at osbiz.co.survey or follow the link in the program notes. To sweeten the deal, there are some great prizes on offer, including lunch with the Osbiz experts. Thanks for doing that. Now enjoy the call. Good afternoon to you. A warm welcome from us here at Ausbiz. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two expert guests, all in one hour. For this Tuesday, the 15th of March, I'm Nadine Blaney. And we've got our expert guests here. And joining me in studio is Mark Moreland from Team Invest. Hey, Mark. Hi, Nadine. Good to see you. I'm very well. How are you? Very well, very well. I've missed COVID. well? I've been trying to catch it because everyone else has had it and I feel like I'm missing out. No, you're not missing out on anything. Not much, anyways. And we've got Andrew Whiteland joining us from DP Wealth Advisory there in Toowoomba. Andrew, thanks for joining us today. Are you riding out this volatility okay up there? We're, uh, we're riding the waves. We're, uh, we're just going with it, Nadine. You can't fight it, but uh, certainly if you compare and contrast it to 2021 as an example, we thought, yep, we're through this. It's all good. And uh, 2022, the gift that keeps yeah. on. 2022 has a few things to answer for on a few fronts, I dare say, but uh, perhaps we'll get into it uh, through this list of companies that we'll get through in the next hour or so. Um, I would like, though, to start with the stock of the day. Before we get there, I always forget just a bit of a, a heads up on what we'll be discussing today with uh, Mark and Andrew. Horizon is on the list, Electro Optics, and we've got Pinnacle as well, so in the funds management space. Uh, Meyer and A2 Milk is coming up. So for the stock of the day, I thought we'd have a look at Unity Group. Shares soared this morning after we had media reports that it is allegedly in takeover talks with an unnamed party. Now the offer is said to be worth four to five dollars per share. It did hit and enter a trading halt this morning after the news was released. But of course this comes after we already had the company come out, I think it was a couple of months ago, and say that it could potentially um, be the subject of M&A and uh, Mira, so the Macquarie Infrastructure and Real Assets. And um, previously it was Vocus that we thought might be doing a deal with Mira to make an advance on Unity Group, but apparently this time it could be a wear super. Of course, this is all media speculation. Uh, the business itself, Unity Group, is in the infrastructure space, telecommunications infrastructure, internet infrastructure, and it's done very well. Thank you very much. Um, just in the latest reporting season, uh, shares were not treated that uh, well in the wake of its report, but it did see I think it was um, its, uh, it's, it's um, order book growing, and really it was on costs that, uh, that it did see 
a little bit of difficulty in that most recent report, but it is on track to meet its consensus forecast for FY22 of $145 billion, and that's despite some delays related to, guess what, Mark? COVID. COVID. Yeah. All right. Um, Andrew, I might start with you just because you're up there on screen. What do you think of Unity Group? Obviously in a trading halt right now, can't take any action, but it certainly seems as if this is a company set to be acquired. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a great business, Nadine, and uh, it's a shame that uh, we can't buy it at the moment. Who knows, maybe in an hour or so when the trading halt lists or whether it's tomorrow, whenever it is. But look, it's a it's the type of business that the, uh, the market really likes because it's predictable. Uh, it's around 90% of their revenues will be annuity style. So the construction risk, which is um, inherent with the business at the moment as they're rolling out that infrastructure will go away and it'll actually become more of an annuity style business. So therefore it's of no great surprise that we're seeing uh, the uh, superannuation uh, companies looking for it. I mean, they've been quite opportunistic at the moment. Think Sydney airports is an example. So uh, I, I really do like Unity. I rate their management. And as you know, I don't usually say buy to too many direct shares being the ETF guy, but uh, Unity is a buy. Yeah, it's a buy. So what, what though to do? <clears throat> Uh, if you're already holder of this company, I mean, you've got potentially a bid coming through. Would the strategic um, in advice, information, I mean, if it was you, would you just hold on? Well, of course, we don't do advice here, Nadine, but uh, if I was an interested onlooker, uh, I would be just literally saying and just watching because uh, taking no action, and I'm sure that's what the board would be recommending as well. But uh, normally when there's a quality asset in play, it certainly does pique the interest of others. And as you spoke about before, Macquarie had been uh, sort of potentially involved there. Now, whether they're going to be involved in the track's another story. But certainly when you have a strategic asset in play, a quality asset in play in the right space, uh, the best advice is to do nothing. Just simply watch, wait and see what happens. Yeah, and because there could potentially be an improved offer coming along, the first office is rarely the last offer. So if it comes back online, you're happy saying a buy. Let's throw this over to Mark Moreland from Team Invest Unity Group. I know you're not overly familiar with the company, but uh, it's been really doing well, making money hand over fist. It's not just a traditional telco. It really does provide mm. that infrastructure. Into well, well, we like, we like the, um, the uh, picks and shovel people, you know, which is what they are yep. in the internet. So, and the business model has, has obviously got merit long term. We like reoccurring annuity type income as well. That's a big plus. Uh, the catch is that it's currently market, market cap at the moment. It's about 2.1 billion and their sales are 158 million and their earnings are 43 million. That's the last reported one. So the, um, it's on a peer of over 40. So it's already on a very high price. So there's no way I would consider it a buy. It's only got four years history, which for us is like the absolute minimum. And it doesn't make our minimum return on equity. It's currently running at 5.3% uh, return on equity, which is, is pretty ordinary. So obviously there's quite a lot of um, uh, value being placed by investors in their potential going forward, which is fine. Yeah, it's just not what we would do. Okay. So um, I would, I would, if you owned it already, there's nothing you can do now. It's in a trading hold anyway. But you, it's if it's being taken over and you get a good premium, that'd be terrific. Mm -hmm. Good. All right. So that's the stock of the day. Unity. We're watching those shares um, previous to the trading halt today. Just be, um, yeah, sore. I think up about 17%. Let's get to some of the companies that you've nominated. Uh, the first on the list is Horizon. A Z J is the ticker code. Andrew, I'll start with you on this one because I'm wondering, obviously bulk operators 
do they stand to benefit from this boom that we're seeing in agri as well? Does Horizon have exposure to that narrative? They do, um, and also general freight, and of course their uh, their big ticket item is coal. So mm -hmm. uh, they're certainly ticking uh, a number of the boxes in that regard. Probably the key issue that I have with Horizon, Nadine, is that the pricing is actually set by the Queensland government. So that's a, a real sort of handbrake on their potential for earnings. Um, so the Queensland government, they have to make a submission to the government as, a, as to a return on capital, and then the government agrees or disagrees as a consequence. So it's not like, I don't know, it's a poor example, but say Australian Pipeline Trust, or Australian Pipeline Trust, 90% of their contracts is a, basically a private negotiation between them and the counterparty. This is actually pretty much the Queensland government. So that is probably a negative here. Uh, it's trading pretty close to consensus. I think consensus on this is about $3.80. It's trading about in the 360s at the moment. I like the fact that the CEO and also the chair have been buying shares over the last 12 months. As you know, I sort of mind the sort of key metrics. Uh, and it's got a great dividend yield, um, about 7%. It's only paying at 50%, but probably being uh, a negative, and this is the closest I can get to an ETF today, I'm sorry, Nadine. Mm -hmm. um, they're actually going to be um, replaced in the ASX 50 over uh, by, what's the date, by March 21st. So in other words, a number of these passive index funds that in fact may have been holding it in the past will be no longer compelled to have such a weighting in their portfolios after the 21st of March. So you'd have to think that's probably going to be a negative for them. So I think on, a, on that basis, on a price basis, um, on the basis of the handbrake on earnings, I'd say it's a hold. Hold. Mark, what do you think? Because yes, it's got exposure to agri, also coal, mm. prices set by the Queensland government, as we just heard, but pretty strong cash flows. Yeah, it has. So shareholder returns. That's right. And, and it's actually quite profitable. It's making um, about 18% net profit on sales, which is pretty good you know, for the, for the, as they are a regulated body as far as what they can charge. Now, the advantage in that, they, because they're Queensland Rail uh, internally, they're doing the distribution side, they've got a very strong moat. They're not going anywhere. And maybe the, the PE's actually come down quite a lot. It's in the bottom quartile, which is uh, of its normal trading range, which is, is a good thing. Um, it's currently on 12.5 times earnings. We're showing quite a big range, actually. Our default projection is about 15% a year return if you buy it at the current price. So that's a, that's a combination of potential modest capital gain and dividends, uh, about half and half. Uh, but the margin of safety is about four and a half. And the reason is the debt's quite high. It's over. It's ninety percent debt to equity, which is above our uh, our comfort level. Uh, but it's a it's a pretty solid business. Unspectacular. Their EPS growth rate's growing at about three point eight percent a year, which is okay. It's inflation. Yeah. Uh, a bit. I, was, I didn't want to say it's not the most exciting company, no, but it's not the no, most exciting. No, we've got company. one of the directors as a member of ours. Okay. Know, so we don't talk about it. <laughs> so it doesn't come up on our radar because it fails a couple of our key metrics. But look, it's not a bad business and it's paying a good dividend and that's you know pretty safe and it's on a very low PE, which is also gives you a margin of safety as well. Mm -hmm. So is it safe to say, or should I say, that yeah. in this environment, volatility, rising interest rates, yeah. if you had an allocation in your portfolio, it would be on the more defensive income? Yeah, I think so. And you could do a lot worse. Yeah. It's not a buy for us, but I think you're buying it it's at a... hold. I think if you've got yeah. it, it's a hold, there's probably no reason to sell it. But uh, 12 and a half PE for a, a, a solid company like that is very low, you know, mm -hmm. when we've got PEs at the moment, 20, 30 on, yeah. a lot of, on a lot of stocks. So if interest rates start going up, you, it probably is not going to hurt Horizon, uh, you wouldn't think. All right. The next on the list is for Susie. Susie, I hope you're watching or listening. I'll stay with Mark Moreland on this one. EOS is the tipper, ticker code. I have a feeling 
I just am going to go out there on a limb that this is not something that the Team Invest crew is going to like very much. No, you're right. <laughs> now, the reason is we're, we're value investors on the Buffett style. So we like profits and reti uh, predictable returns because really what we want to do is uh, uh, be able to calculate what we think our return is going to be at, at a, what, what level of risk. So we're not in the speculative end of the equation. Now, the trouble uh, with this company, it has no earnings. So from our point of view, we, couldn't, we can't be intelligent about it. Um, it's losing about 5% a year by the look of it at the moment. It hasn't got a lot of debt. Uh, it's, got, it's been listed for, it looks like, about nine years. So it's been around for quite a while. So I don't know anything about the business, so I can't comment on its uh, potential because we just never get into these sorts of businesses. So I can't really help you much. Okay, well, there is some talk around this one, Andrew. You might be aware of it potentially benefiting because we've got this escalation in geopolitical tensions coming through. Um, but I think to Mark's point, there's not a lot of tangible proof uh, that it's going to benefit from that. It's everything from defense to um, you know, lasers up in space that can help clear trash up in space. What do you make of the company? Oh, Nadine, you've painted a, a great narrative there. Um, look, it's, it's probably a bit too exciting for me for some of the reasons that Mark's um, spoke about. But uh, look, it's when you, one of my favorite things, maybe that's the wrong way of putting it, sounds like I'm super boring, no comment required. One of the things that I like to do when I'm looking at company announcements is, you know, what's their get out of jail statements? What are they, what are they sort of trying to sort of pin things on? So looking at their most recent results where at the end um, in February where their share price fell 11% after their results were off the ball, uh, their takeaway was disrupted by COVID. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Um, so, you know, they've got a, a few challenges at the moment. They're spending a bucket load of money on this Space Link initiative of theirs. Uh, they're holding about 60 million. I might add the last time that Henry Koshy and I looked at this, they were holding uh, close to 100 million. So they're certainly yeah. burning through that money. Again, another company that's going to be removed from the ASX 300 by March 21st. So those passive funds will have no interest in holding it. And as we can just see there, the chart looks absolutely dreadful. So even though it's in the right space and it's cutting edge, it has a habit of missing targets. This is an avoid. This is a no thank you. This is a That's sell. For you, Susie, electric optic systems. I think what Andrew was also saying there that it might be a bit of a story stock, one of those companies that gets caught up in headlines when you've got, <clears throat> you know, geopolitics, uh, space, defense, all of those uh, those words that sometimes resonate depending on the broader environment. All right, let's get to a company. Uh, Pinnacle, PNI is the ticker code. This is for Vahar. And I'll start with you on this one, Mark Moreland. He's dated it. He says on the 12th of October, yes. Mark Moreland and Scott Phillips reviewed PNI. Uh, PNI was trading at about $15 back then and on a trailing 12-month PE of around 35. Both of Mark and Scott reckoned was too pricey. So it's been coming under a bit of pressure. Um, at least when this email was written, it was down to about $10 with a PE of around 22. So given PNI's prospects for the next five years, based upon the current lower price, recent half-yearly results, is it a good time to back the truck up and load up? I don't know about backing the truck up, but yeah, it's definitely a buy. And it, I'm, I'll declare that I'm a shareholder. Uh, unfortunately for me, recently I bought a lot of Magellan after it dropped right down and, and okay, that's dropped a lot further. Okay, we can talk about that after. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd put it in Pinnacle. Now, I actually told our members that my view was that Pinnacle was a far superior business to uh, Magellan because Magellan is like is one fund manager. Mm -hmm. What Pinnacle do is they have 16 affiliates where they have independently manage funds and they own up to 50% 
of those, and they let the fund manager, uh, the, uh, the asset allocator, run the fund. They provide all the back end, and they also, more importantly, provide distribution, meaning they sell the fund to uh, the platforms and so on and raise their funds under management. Yeah. So it's, it's actually been a very, very successful business. It's, the growth rate in earnings has been running at 44% average over the last six years, which is quite spectacular. And they, their funds are quite diversified, so they've tried to do, they've got real estate things, all sorts of stuff, so that they're trying to broaden it so it's not totally aligned with the straight equities market if it's going down. They're also expanding overseas now as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think market cap, uh, sorry, the funds under management, I think, was similar to what Magellan was before they started their big outflows. You know, so it's about 100 billion or something. Uh, but it's a very diversified business. Profit is, has been outstanding and very, very stable. So that earnings growth has been running at 90%. So it's a, it's a fantastic business, and we're showing it returning about 16% a year on a margin of safety and 50% a year on our default settings. So it's very much a buy. And it's in the green at the moment, in the bottom half of the bottom quartile of their PE range. Okay, so it's also affordable. Yeah, yep. Got it. Andrew, do you agree with that sentiment? It's diversified, it's increased its stake in Kulaba and Solaris, and it's, um, it's also shifting to a higher margin business. I haven't read all the detail on that, but it does have exposure to performance fees as well. Do you like Pinnacle? I like Pinnacle and I deal with Pinnacle. So Mark and the team, other Mark, not this Mark. Um, so yeah, no, very comfortable with, uh, with, with Pinnacle. Uh, interesting, you know, there's a conversation around performance fees, around 15% of their revenue comes from performance fees. So that's certainly something that we need to be sort of mindful of when the market is under pressure, whether those performance fees will continue to flow on through. But as we just heard before, $93 billion worth of funds under management. Uh, that's a, yeah, that's yeah. a huge achievement. Mm -hmm. And they've done it incredibly well. But I guess my uh, my concern is that they're still trading, I think, on a P of around 23, which is consistent with where the market is at the moment. So in a market that's under some pressure, um, would I be wanting to pay a market average PE for a sector that's under some pressure? And my um, answer to that rhetorical question is no. So even though they look very cheap, consensus is 1550 versus that current share price. The managing director owns 9%. Um, there's probably more downside risk in the short term. So I'm a, I'm a hold, but I'm a very keen watcher and there is a time to buy um, wealth managers or asset managers at the moment. At, there is a time to buy asset managers, but probably just not at the moment. Okay, so what would you be looking for? I'll push the point before you would look to get in. Is it a particular price or is it something in the macro environment? What would the price be then, Andrew? Well, certainly the macro environment is people uh, not disliking the share market. Um, and, is, and I'm not saying they need to love it, but there just needs to be yeah. sort of the stopping of behaving. I would think maybe a 10 to 15% discount to PEs. So if you could get it sort of around sort of 21, 20, 21 times earnings. So, you know, maybe another 10% down. That's probably being pretty optimistic, to be frank. Uh, around that sort of high eights, low nines. So I know we're nearly there, but uh, sentiment certainly isn't there with asset managers. It's a quality business. I'm just I'm quibbling about the price. I'm just being mm -hmm. Yeah, you might wait for a down day. Now, Mark, mm. we have to talk about Magellan because I'll get emails after the program <laughs> if I don't address it. Mm. More funds under management going out the door. We yep. just got that news yesterday. Five billion mm -hmm. in uh, a few weeks. When do you call it quits? Oh, I won't. You know, it's very unlikely. Why uh, is that? Because, because they have um, excellent management, they've got the best distribution in the country, and a lot of the funds are quite sticky. So they, they have, I think Magellan's gone through a bit of a perfect storm. 
you know, with uh, the loss of that major um, uh, allocation from yeah. the UK, 17 billion or whatever, and then Cairns leaving and then the divorce. I mean, it was like bang, 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 mm -hmm. bang. So there's been a whole pile on uh, on the media. Uh, McKay's in now running it. He's, uh, he's excellent. Um, I think uh, it'll be fine. How far it'll go down, I'm surprised they've had as much as they have exit. Let's put it that way. Because yeah. if, if you look at uh, Platinum, uh, uh, when Platinum was, went through their woes, because mm -hmm. Asia underperformed, their high to low was about 20% of funds lost. So they maintained 80%. Magellan's are already below that. So they've had a more severe reaction, arguably, arguably that's not justified based on their performance, I would argue. But how long is it going to take the share price well, to you get don't back know. up? So well, you're happy well, to hold on? Oh, well, this, the point is, it's, it was cheap when I bought it. Um, I bought some at so uh, 18. Pardon? Are you still ahead on Magellan? Or oh, no, have no, you no, 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 okay. no. I'm, I, I was a bit shocked when I looked at it today because okay. I put a lot in. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. more you put in, the more you lose when yeah, it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, but, I'm, I, but I work on a five-year um, investment horizon. I'm not a trader, mm -hmm. so I'm used to... I don't have a problem if something I buy goes down more than uh, I thought for a while. It doesn't mean I'm going to set up. Something would have to change fundamentally uh, with and the business. And you don't credit. think that has no, happened? No, 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 that hasn't happened. Uh, the question I've got now is, do I buy more? You know, so an average in. Now, I know a lot of your trader type people say, well, you'd never do that because catching a falling knife. But the reality is, on a five-year horizon, they still have, say, 67 billion under management. They're still very profitable. So it's not like they're losing money. They're still earning a lot. And the P's, like looking at Pinnacle, Pinnacle's on 22. Magellan must be on something like now about eight. You know, so it's a massive so now discount. It's value. So this is when you buy it. You know, so it's not like, I don't want to wait till it gets good. Yeah, what I'm happy to do is ride that back up. And I think there's a good chance it'll be back at $30 or more uh, within a year or two. Uh, time will tell. Uh, Andrew, while you're here, we may <laughs> as well ask you for your view on Magellan. Um, you know, follow the funds. That's what I'm told repeatedly when it comes to these fund managers, follow the funds. And the funds are going out the door for Magellan right now. Why would you hold on if you were already an existing shareholder? Oh, look, I, I, I don't want to pick a mark. I only just met Mark 23 minutes ago. This Seems is the like first nice time you guys smart. have been on together. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. Have a little chat. Smart guy. <laughs> a smart guy. It seems like a very smart guy. And certainly, you know, I like what Team Invest does from a methodology point of view, but I disagree big time. I'm sorry. It's just like, and that chart, just look, I was just looking at the chart before. The chart looks absolutely dreadful. And I take on board the five-year horizon and I get all that. But the, the, the key issue with Magellan has always been key person risk. It was always built around Hamish yep. and it's sort of all coming home to roost, unfortunately, at the moment. <clears throat> the P at the moment is six. Yeah. So, and if you look at, if I put my team in his best hat on very briefly, which doesn't fit very well, return on equity of 41%, 59% margin. So from a quality business point of view, I'm not disagreeing for one moment with what Mark's saying. I'm simply looking at the price action. Mm. And as to your point, Nadine, is that money is walking out the door. They will make less profit next year and the year after. So I certainly think there is an opportunity to, to get out now whilst the, the going is good. The other thing, of course, There'll be a whole lot of tax loss selling, you would have to think, come into April and May. So the price will remain under pressure in the short term. Um, at best, it's a tenuous hold. And like consensus is down 50% over the last three months. So I, I think it's a sell. Got it. Thank you. By the way, in-team invest is not a black and white argument. Mm. Uh, Howard, for instance, totally disagrees with me. So he hasn't got any at all. So we, we don't try and have a consensus view on anything. So we discuss it and everyone makes our own judgments. Yeah. So there are, there are a number of members who've bought into it you know, in the lows and now. 
uh, but it wouldn't be the majority. Okay. And then yeah. a lot of our other members have it already, and no, I haven't. I don't know of anyone been selling it. Okay. So a lot of them be underwater on this one. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. you know, I'm going off piece a little bit, so yeah, let's right. get back on track. But I had to ask. Oh, yeah, sure. Meyer is the next on the list. So Meyer actually reported. It's one of those laggards of reporting season last week, and uh, its shares skyrocketed after it paid a dividend for the first time, I think, since 2017. Uh, that obviously benefits its majority shareholder, um, Solly Liu and a premier investment, but it also saw sales increasing up by 8.5% to $1.5 billion. Andrew, of course, this was a beneficiary of JobKeeper, but boy, there are a lot of companies out there that got a bit of a kick from JobKeeper. So fundamentally, what do you think of Meyer as an investment if it continues to look to turn things around? It's an intriguing one, Nadine, and to be honest, it's one that I hadn't paid as much attention to as I should have, because um, with due respect, I thought things weren't looking too flash on I didn't have too many clients in there. In fact, I don't think I had any clients in there. So, uh, but you're right, that result that came out was a really good one. And uh, in particular, online sales are now a significant contributor to the business. Uh, paying a dividend, uh, increasing cash, cash now up to $217 million. So certainly the market, as you said, sort of uh, taking um, some solace from that result. There are though some headwinds, um, a couple of amber flashing lights to use an Andrewism. One of the one of the ones would be relating to their contingent lease obligation. So they've been handing back quite a great deal of space. However, uh, they still have a fair bit to go and their weighted average lease expiry is still over 10 years. So um, they're doing a good job, but they still um, have got some significant issues there. On a pricing point of view, it's seven times earnings relative to their peers, which are trading at 27 times. And you hit it on the head, Nadine, in the short term, what is Solly Lou going to do? Because Solly Lou uh, was a very unhappy shareholder there for a number of years, but you know maybe he's feeling a little bit happier and is this turnaround in Meyer, in fact, going to force his hand uh, because he has coveted Meyer for decades? Mm -hmm. Will this turn around before the share price gets away on him? There's only $685,000 worth of shares traded a day. So it's in the context of a $400 million company, it's not, it's not a great deal. Look, on balance, Nadine, I think it's a hold, but it's certainly one that I'm watching really really closely, because I'd say from an M&A perspective, I reckon Solly would be uh, yeah. sharpening the pencil calculator out and uh, possibly something afoot. Okay, we'll watch that one. Hey, I shop at Meyer. Mark? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I not like a it. That's not a reason to own it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you own Meyer? Oh, no way. When you look at the no. broader no, no, retail no, no, no. Well, no, Meyer and department stores generally have been a secondary decline for a long time. And if you look at Meyer over the last decade, uh, their average earnings decrease has been minus 17% a year. So in other words, it's been going down at minus 17. This is the first time in a decade that they've actually come out with an improvement in sales now the uh, on earnings rather sales haven't been declining as fast but they've, they've been going down at 4.6 percent a year with very high stability in other words it's just about a straight line down in sales not a massive decline but going downhill when your sales are going down you have a real problem because obviously to increase your profit you've either got to make significantly higher margins which is problematic because yeah. you've got to compete yeah. so you need, i buy stuff on sale at my yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you need you need sales to be increasing yeah. and then you've got a chance of increasing your profit so their earnings have been going down faster than sales, but largely tracking it. Uh, this is a turnaround story, if you believe it. Uh, to me, there's no way. You know, it's just been an absolute dog. 
it's been a capital killer. We call these capital killers. Yeah, if I you know. look at the share price, <laughs> if you go back and look at the share price over, I'll just show you the, over the 10 years, this, uh, we're back in 2013, share price was um, $3.05, and it's currently 64 cents or something. Mm -hmm. Now that's a shocker. Yeah. All right. Um, and that was out of private equity hands back onto the market. And it's been a pretty dismal story since then. That's right. Well, exactly right. whether or not it's a turnaround, Joe, that was for you. Just a quick reminder that this is information only. It's not mm. advice in any way, shape just or form. Just last thing on that, she was Solly yeah. Lou, just to yeah. mention that. The, part of the reason why he's so interested in it is Meyer is major distributor of all his brands. So he's got, he's got all his stuff in Meyer. So Meyer sell all his things. And there's, there's always been these questions about conflict of interest because he's got influence. Mm. Uh, on the company, so he he doesn't want to see it go. Mm -hmm. So whether he really wants to take it over or not, I don't know. Or whether it's just I don't know what his real motivations are. We wouldn't know what's going on in his head. Yeah, well, he doesn't sell all his brands. No, but, but he does yeah. do a lot. Okay. Now let's yeah. get to the number five, and that is A2 Milk Company, A2M for Ross. Look, um, there's a whole registration process that the company is going on in China, uh, which it said looking like it's going quite well. Um, it is looking to you know, still address the Chinese market, even though the Jiagu channel that we well know has largely dried up. Um, there's Australian pop-up shops that people can order through, but it is looking at a higher marketing spend, of course, because it needs to get itself in front of uh, consumers, which uh, arguably it's not doing such a great, uh, you know, job of as of late. So let's start with A2 Milk with you, Andrew. Do you have it in client portfolios? I did. Um, we were getting in at three and four bucks. I think it got to what twenty-two. I think we probably sold a bit early in the teens, mm -hmm. and then uh, watched it fall over. So it had been a um, an interested observer. Again, being the sicko that I am, uh, reading these announcements, challenging market conditions, uh, or changing market dynamics. These are not sort of uh, statements that you want to be reading in a half-year announcement when you're uh, sort of looking for a growth investment, which really A2 Milk um, is trying to position itself in being. And when we're talking about China, I mean, the, the key thing, this actually did blow my mind, that the um, lower birth rate, like they are seeing significant drops in their birth rates. And as a consequence, therefore, less demand for their product. So they're also talking about higher freight costs as well. So I, I can see lots of reasons not to be here. So um, including an ROE of 2% and a 2% net profit margin. So uh, this is a hold. And it's a hold. Thank you. Uh, what do you think, Mark? Uh, well, I used to like A2, and uh, we, we had a lot of members who were invested in it in the early days because it was actually a really, really good uh, growth stock. Uh, what happened then is the uh, CEO got flicked, Heidlicker, Heid, Heid, her name was? Yep, Jane. Jane. Yep, Jane um, and that, we don't like that. Whenever we see a CEO you know, ch kicked out the door, if they leave in a big hurry and it's not like a proper planned departure, it's usually bad news follows. Mm -hmm. And then we had, of course, the... Uh, slowdown in the Chinese market, both at a political level, mm -hmm. it was both you know, before yeah. COVID. That was happening anyway, remember, yeah. before COVID. So there's, there's a couple of big things not to like because China was their, large, their major uh, profit earner on, uh, on uh, powdered milk for babies and so on. Yeah. Chinese, Chinese governments are trying to reduce, they're trying to, if, it, if, they, can, if they can encourage their um, people not to buy Australian or, New, or say New Zealand, A2 is theoretically a New Zealand company, mm -hmm. but listed on Australian market. Um, yeah, they're all pretty big headwinds. 
So at the moment, when you look at it now, and I haven't actually looked at it for a while, the PE on current earnings is 169. So what's happened is it means the market hasn't sold it down anywhere near as much as what their earnings would justify. So there's a lot of uh, hope in there still. I don't own it, uh, but I think if you did own it, I think I would be inclined to sell it because I think if anything, the Chinese problems could easily get worse, um, in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't hear a lot now about no, moving into quiet. the North American market well, or that, that, you know, the sales Ameri- in Australia. Oh, that really doesn't turn us China's on. When, yeah. when companies say they're moving into yeah. North America, North America is like 50 countries. Yeah. It's a shocker. It's a graveyard for Australian companies. So no value in it at this time. You'd wait for some well, sort of a turnaround in there. Well, it's, it's, it's got to be a turnaround story yeah. uh, at best. And return on equity is below. It fails on lots of our metrics okay. anyway. So I'm not big on turnarounds. Ross, that is not a ringing endorsement for the A2 Milk Company. Mm. Now we're at the halfway mark. Let's summarize what we've learned. Unity Group, it's a buy, if you could. For Andrew, he says it's a really good company, but take no action if you already hold it. Uh, We will get an update from the market whether there has in fact been an approach made. Unity was very forthcoming in saying that it was a takeover target uh, and that there had been interest, I should say, in the company earlier in the year. Um, It's a hold for um, Mark, like he likes the picks and shovels, but it is um, just not one that they'd be buying at this stage of the game. You can't anyways today. Horizon, it's a hold for Andrew. It does have exposure to coal as well as Agri and likes that the CEO and share is buying sh- chair is buying shares. Dividend yield is pretty good. Um, Mark agrees. It's got a moat around it. It's a hold though for both of my guests. Electro optic systems, it's too specky for Mark. It is an avoid. It's an avoid. For Andrew as well, he says there's too many get-out-of-jail statements really in its uh, release and it's burning through cash. Uh, Pinnacle, it is a buy. It's a buy for Mark Moreland. Um, He is a shareholder. He thinks it's done very, very well. Andrew would prefer to get it a little bit cheaper, so it's just a hold for him if you've got it. Meyer, Andrew's watching this one very closely, potentially a turnaround story, but if you've got it, it's a hold for him. It's an avoid for Mark Moreland. He's looking at the history, he says it's too checkered. And the A2 Milk Company, it's actually a sell. For Mark Moreland, um, there's just too much not to like. <clears throat> it's a hold for Andrew, but he notes that the changing market dynamics is a lot, and it hasn't uh, moved favorably for this company thus far. All right, let's get to the portfolio. Our new portfolio is live, and you can watch that first investment committee meeting, which is available online. So you can find out what companies made it into the Calls High Conviction Fund. Let's bring him up on screen. You'll see BHP there, Macquarie. Uh, Mineral Resources, Steadfast, Aristocrat, Audinate, CSL, NextDC, and Universal Stores. And you can see the percentage allocation there, including that 20% allocation to cash. So every month the committee will meet. They're due to meet uh, just in about a week and a half. And they will decide what stays in, what gets taken out. And we look forward to bringing that program to you then. You can also check out the existing portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at CMC Market. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Let's get to the next companies on our list, shall we? We've got uh, Life360 for Bianco. We've got Corporate Travel for Andrea. We have Metcash coming up for Oscar and Fisher and Paykel Healthcare for Stacey. 
And we'll end it off with Lynch Group LGL for Lewis. Now let's start, shall we, with Life360. This is for Bianca. Boy, the market reacted negatively to its pre-guided result, uh, which was in line with the F1, FY21 result. But there was a few lines in there about an Apple product that is being brought to court over stocking. And of course, Life360 basically allows you to follow family members um, to help them out through the platform, all the rest of it. Um, Andrew, I'll start with you because, yeah, the share price has been battered, bruised this year in line with what's happening across the broader infotech space. We know that rates are rising, likely on Thursday in the States. We watch Treasury yields climb above 2% through the overnight period. Life 360. Um, it's a no. It's a. Uh, it's it's probably a hold. Um, is probably the best way to describe it. And uh, and I'm and I have to show a little bit of bias here. Sort of, I'm an Apple fan, so I'm certainly not trying to use that as a prejudice for the answer I'm about to give. But again, going through all of their previous uh, presentations, not a huge amount of mention. And and to be fair, you don't usually see a lot of competitor analysis in company announcements. But certainly nothing about Samsung's equivalent product and certainly nothing relating to Apple's um, uh, sort of competing product as well. To be fair, though, to Life360, that's not all they do these days. They're sort of trying to almost turn themselves into a, a membership type of company. And if I was to sort of use an analogy here in Queensland, an RACQ or an NRMA, um, whereby they sort of offer a suite of services and you mm -hmm. pay a monthly fee. So from that point of view, I can certainly understand why they're perhaps not mentioning what's going on with the competitor analysis piece. But the share price, as we've seen from the chart, I mean, it just looks dreadful. It's down 48%, I think, for the year. Um, and certainly um, consensus is uh, not, I'm oh, sorry, consensus is actually okay. Consensus is $10.11 versus the market price of around that $4.80, $4.90 piece. Uh, obviously got impacted by COVID, you know, you, it's hard to sort of keep track of your family and, and, and loved ones if they're all sort of sitting in the next room beside you. It did pretty um, well through COVID, I've got to say. But I mean, I had a conversation yesterday and my guest was saying, look, if you believe in the product, uh, like there might be some value in this tech name right now because the baby really has been thrown out with the bathwater. There's lots of value out there, Nadine. I mean, my favourite one is Zero, as an example. Zero has gone from $140 down to 90 It is the stickiest business I know out there. Um, that's just one. You know, there's plenty of value out there in that tech space. Uh, Life360 doesn't immediately come to mind mm -hmm. when you're going, what's a good value tech one? So at best, it's a hold. Got it. Mark, Life360? No, um, no, dog. <laughs> And the reason it is, uh, it's a short it, note. This company is um, uh, it's, it's operates in 195 countries and it's got 26 million users. That's not small. Yet it loses 46 million, 42 million dollars a year on 150 million of uh, sales. So this is only 150 million in um, revenue, and they're losing basically nearly a third each year. So uh, sales have been growing at about 20 percent a year, uh, with quite good stability. So it is growing, but it's not. It can't make any money. So, why, what, you know, I don't understand. And by the way, this is a really good example of, um, uh, as Andrew said, they've dropped so far down. The reason they have is because they don't make any money. So when you have an inflated value that's based on a hope, mm -hmm. you get smashed. 
you know, compared to a quality company that has decent earnings, you know, there's, there's a price that's value. There's no way I could give you any valuation on this until it starts making some money. And going on the size and its distribution already, if they can't make money out of 195 countries, cover and, and 26 million users, when will they? That'd be the question I'd be asking. Okay, thank you for Life360. That's for you, Bianca. Let's get to corporate travel management. This is when I had come up on the call just yesterday and uh, we had a bit of a, a conversation. It wasn't really a debate, but a conversation as to whether or not we think that corporate travel, business travel is going to come back to pre-pandemic levels. Even despite that, Andrew, my guests were looking at this one and saying, really through the pandemic, it has strategically performed very well. It was one of the only travel companies that didn't actually require a big cash uh, capital raise. Um, so give us your, your overall view of corporate travel and then the company specifically. Yeah, look, well, when was the last time I came and visited you and the team down there? I mean, that's over two years ago now. So I haven't yeah. even seen the new offices. Feels like a that's lifetime ago. It literally does seem like a lifetime ago. And certainly I'm planning to come down, uh, but equally so, whereas before I might come down every six, uh, six to 12 weeks, I might now only do that twice a year because a lot of my clients are now used to a screen. They may not, it's not their first choice, but it's certainly something that we've become used to doing. So I, I think corporate travel could potentially be under a little bit of pressure, as in the, the thematic, the industry, if we then drill down into the company. I mean, they certainly took advantage of the opportunities that um, were there during COVID. And as you said, they've come out the other end. They've got pretty much nil debt. They're sitting on, how much cash are they sitting on? Sitting on about 100 million in cash. And in fact, the business in some parts is substantially bigger than what they were pre-COVID. In mm -hmm. fact, they're now the fourth largest corporate travel business in the world. So from that point of view, you know, it ticks all the boxes. I guess the broader thematic worries me. And then if I have that concern, I look at the PE at 83 times earnings. Again, we know the market is 23 times, albeit forecast EPS growth next year is about 250%. So, you know, potentially, but they are very heavily skewed to the second half. Around two thirds of their earnings comes from the second half. Trading well below consensus, but I, as I said, my broader thematic worries me. So it is a whole. Corporate travel, look, it uh, bought uh, Hello World Travel's corporate travel segment that was cleared by the ACCC. But there is still COVID. We know that. There's now war in Europe. And we know that the Europeans and the Americans were much quicker to get back to the skies and business travel than we were here in Australia. Mm -hmm. But that's got to be a concern as well. Yeah, well, corporate travel has been a um, team invest wealth winner for a long time. Um, and as you mentioned at the beginning, they, had, they didn't actually need to raise any capital. Uh, for their business. So that was what uh, Flight Centre did. And we like Flight Centre too, by the way, mm -hmm. but a different business in a lot of ways. Uh, Corporate Travel did do a couple of raises, but that was to buy strategic yeah. assets, which they bought really cheaply. So they have grown the base size of the business enormously. So when we do come out of COVID, and now COVID's gone much longer than I would have ever imagined. So uh, US, I think, is back to 78%. Uh, capacity now for, for flying. So I don't buy the argument that people won't fly. Uh, I think there's massive pent up demand in my view. Now that's a personal opinion. You can make your own judgments on that. Things don't change as much as people think they will, you know, cause and effect things. Um, from a business point of view, you need to travel because uh, for sales and so on, there's a limit of what you can do on, on Skype or on uh, Zoom. Uh, face to face is still 
it's what it is. We're nowhere, we're nowhere near a situation where you can really take that out of the mix. So I, don't, I think it will get back to normal. It's taking longer than we thought. The share price has been incredible how, how high it is, considering their earnings haven't come back yet. But when, they do, when we do come out of this, as Andrew mentioned, they're the fourth largest corporate travel player in the world now. And buying Hello World was a very good acquisition as well, because that picks up uh, government, a lot of government uh, departments. It picks up uh, Qantas, uh, all the uh, Qantas and all the white label products mm -hmm. to do with Qantas travel and so on. So they're going to be in a very dominant position. And I think their earnings will come back very, very quickly. And I think what the market's doing is it hasn't discounted them down as much as some of the other companies we've talked about, because um, their earnings will come back and they're probably twi they're going to be twice the size, I, I think of what they were prior. The other quick one yeah. is there's an enormous reduction in competition. Mm -hmm. There's so many travel agencies have gone closed and will never come back. You've got a double whammy. They've got more share of what is a less competitive market. When you have a less competitive market, what does that mean? Improve your margins. Yeah. So are you selling? No, Taking no way. some profits? No way. No, we don't do that. Would you buy today? Uh, well, I bought, I bought below $7 okay. in, in COVID, so I'm very, very happy. Yeah, okay. So we're up, I'm up 200% already, yeah, and I'll be delighted. to just take a bit Not off a the chance. top? Not a chance. No way. Put it uh, in pinnacle? I, I think, in fact, the point of looking at their earnings going forward now, and we're actually doing, we have a meeting in Brisbane tomorrow to discuss this. Uh, you flying up there? May well buy it. Of course I'm flying up there. <laughs> <laughs> I spent three months in the US last year. Yeah. I've been flying everywhere. <laughs> And I still can't catch COVID. <laughs> well, consider yourself lucky. Yeah. All right, so that is corporate travel. It, uh, was that a buy? I, I, yeah, I'll say a buy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Metcash for Oscars. So this reported very well. Um, we know that it's got hardware. Hardware did very well in the most recent result. It's got IGA, sales growth, actually ahead of pre-pandemic levels. It's accelerating its investment in online. But I guess, Andrew, the big question is, does normalization in our spending patterns, in our movement, uh, you know, signal that this could be as good as it gets for Matt Cash. Yeah, Nadine, the issue, I guess, and we could have this broader conversation across all the consumer staples is around input costs and transportation, you know, sort of those supply chain issues. Um, certainly if you watch the, uh, the news of an evening, that seems to be quite rightly so. A lot of people are really concerned about that at the moment. So what's the impact on margins going to be? That's probably the, the forward looking piece. But if we actually look at how Metcash is going at the moment, they're actually doing pretty well. And uh, certainly their margins are improving um, far better, far, far quicker than what Woolies, in fact, Woolies were under some margin pressure, you know, due to COVID. Uh, Coles is pretty steady, but certainly Metcash's margins have been pretty good. And as you said, it's really been that hardware story that's been driving that, their total tools acquisition. Uh, has been really kind to them. So I uh, I don't mind it. It's a P15 relative to its peers, which are trading at around um, 24 times. The dividend's probably not too bad. Also at that 14% and uh, return on equity at 14% is, is pretty good too. So I, uh, I actually don't mind this one, but the, 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 so it's a buyer, but the rider being that uh, if we continue to see a substantial uplift in um, supply chain costs, um, labour shortages, et cetera, uh, will they be able to absorb those and therefore margin pressure, which isn't good, or will they pass them on and what will mm -hmm. they do to demand that they're not the only company facing the challenge? Yeah, across the board. There's an IGA opening near me soon and I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Convenience, mm. right? Mm -hmm. More local shopping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got one in Rose Bay. Mm -hmm. mm. Do you go? Yep. Um, We've looked at this in the past, never really got excited about it. They're in a hard space because they're providing all the, a lot of the smaller players and so on. And you've got the, the two whales, which are Woolworths and Coles, 
Uh, IGA has a, a, a good position in the market, but it's difficult for them. So it's a mediocre business. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, we're showing it returning 3% a year of the, on its current earnings. And if you wanted to get a 10% return, which is be a minimum from my perspective, uh, you couldn't pay more than $3.17. And it's currently $4.40. So to get into the green, bottom quartile is $3.40. So it's, you know, it's not, not, in, not inconceivable. And then the dividend becomes good and it's not going to go broke. And I, th I think it's actually the inflation question about maintaining margin or dealing in an inflationary environment. I think we have to consider that with all our investment, investments. Um, supermarkets can pass it through. You know, at the end of the day, Coles and Woolworths will as well. They're not, no one's going to say, oh, we'll absorb it and take, reduce our profits. No one's going to do that. So I think they won't have a problem with that. Although input costs, uh, I think staff, is a real that, issue, big one, yeah. and they, they've all got that. But it doesn't matter about comparatives because we're not saying, do I buy Woolworths or Coles versus mm -hmm. uh, buying Metcash? You don't look at the company on its own. And so you say, well, input costs are going to be going up. They can probably pass on the inflationary pressures on food and so on. But distribution is a problem. Uh, wages are a problem. They're going to have a lot of challenges. So their starting position at the moment is, from our point of view, is 3% a year return. So it's, just to, it's not cheap enough to justify... Um, mm -hmm. putting any money into it. Got it. Thank you. That's for Oscar. Stacey, this one's for you, Fisher & Paykel Health. Uh, is this company overvalued at its current level, Andrew, or do you see that Will's you know, demand for its products will remain and will stay at these uh, pre-COVID levels for the foreseeable treatment or uh, future, even though we have vaccines and treatments and everything else coming through for COVID? Always the hard-hitting questions, Nadine. And look, it's 15 minutes to go. You're meant to be taking it easy on me. We're on the downhill slide. <laughs> um, look, I think if you'd asked me that when it was in the 30s, and we'll see the chart in a moment, um, then I would have said, yeah, 100%. But now where we are at the moment in the 25s, I actually don't mind Fisher & Paykel as a business. But you're right, relating to the whole COVID piece where they were initially a beneficiary, um, you know, makers of... Um, uh, ventilators and so forth, but mm. then well, there's a couple of issues. We've now seen elective surgeries um, have been impacted by that, so therefore, um, you know, from a business point of view, that's been a challenge. And the other thing is that um, Fish and Paykel are investing significant monies. I didn't write it down, but from memory, I think it was about $700 million they're going to be investing in either R&D or new production facility in Mexico. So this is a business that is really, it's, dare I say, it's CSL-esque. That's what CSL does. They reinvest a lot of money into R&D. That's what they're doing at the moment. But the, the, the comparison ends with CSL because even though CSL has had some COVID issues relating to plasma collection, it's a lot more pronounced here relating to a demand for equipment. So I, I think it's a whole, but it's one that I'm lo looking at pretty closely because I do think it is a quality, well-run business. We just sort of need to sort of get uh, the new normal happening and then uh, we'll see what happens with these delayed surgeries. Mark? Um, team Invest Wealth winner, for sure. Um, I think it's a buy at this level. It's in the bottom quartile of its PE. So the PE has come down significantly and it's about 10, I think uh, the PE is currently, uh, sorry, let's have a look, I guess it's 30, mm -hmm. um, which is lower than CSL. And by the way, I, I'd agree with Andrew. I put um, uh, Fisher and Paykel in with the CSL and Cochlear. 
Um, New Zealand-based, very conservative management. We like it better than ResMed. Um, that, well, that was the question. Yeah, you know, yeah. So you prefer this uh, to ResMed's done well as well. Yeah. And they've got more of a technology component to it yeah. than Fisher & Barco has. Interestingly, COVID, all the things that happened to these businesses during COVID, it's quite interesting. One of the big changes for Fisher & Barco was they've been pushing for a long time for elective surgery and also in intensive, for intensive care to use their um, pressure oxygen um, uh, machines, which is you know, the same as what you use for sleep apnea sleep and so on, apnea. instead of uh, using ventilators, you know, which is then very, uh, you need uh, full intensive care, very, very expensive. And there's been a reluctance to use them. What, what COVID proves, it was better to use the Fisher and Paykel gear rather than ventilators and so on. So there's right. been a, there's, I didn't know that. no, and what it's done is it's it, a lot of the surgeons and the people using, oh, this is actually, this is better. So there's been a, a real change. So their sales now of all the consumables uh -huh. in that area are going up enormously. And who would have thought? This is because accelerated by COVID, another, another one of these unforeseeable things. Yeah. So an efficient park, absolute quality company. It's all green from our point of view. We're showing it returning 11% on a margin of safety and 30% a year on our default measure. Okay. So really good and super safe. Yeah, that, that, uh, yeah. that's a good one, especially in volatile the best times. One, best one today. Okay, that's the highest quality. Mark's favorite. I'll ask you, Andrew, what's today, your yeah. favorite of the bunch of today? Yeah. Lynch Group is the last on the list. So LGL is the ticker code. It is the flower and potted plants company. Sells into Australia and China. Andrew, do you know Lynch Group? Do you like it? <clears throat> I've done a little bit of reading about it. Um, what do you think of its prospects going forward? Well, it was my wedding anniversary uh, yesterday, and uh, 13 it? years. Yeah. 13 years. How could one man be so lucky? Um, but um, relating to flowers, that was obviously a friend of mine, the old cliche. And of course, that's what Lynch Group does. They're yeah. uh, a, a large flower company, uh, and they've got scale. You know, they've really got their sort of um, inroads into you know, Big W and etc. Um, the, the key issue, Nadine, is that well, there's a few. There's only $19,000 a day of this traded. And as we've done the call previously, we've identified that as one of the key issues that, you know, these crab pot companies, somewhat easy to get into, but very difficult to get out of. Floated back in April last year, so we're coming on 12 months at $3.60. Again, a business that's been impacted by COVID, supply chain, labour shortages, safety costs. PE of 10 times, if you believe uh, forecast earnings, versus the market at 23, and equally so consensus of $4.30 relative to a share price of $2.65. So you'd think on all that basis that I'm going to be talking it up, and I haven't mentioned China yet. Uh, I'm a no. I'm, okay. a, uh, I'm, I'm a hold. That lack of trading volume concerns me greatly. There's not, looking at the top 20 shareholders, you've got, it was a private equity float. So um, pretty sure that the private equity group next is still there. I'm, I'm, I might be wrong and I apologize if I am, but I'm pretty sure they're still there. So is that potentially an overhang? Um, so no, it's, 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 it's a quality business, but there's certainly lots of headwinds there. So it's a whole. Mark, I can't imagine you'd be putting no, money no. in. No, uh, no. And it's not, the, interestingly, the market cap's 320 million. So that 19,000 a day really is small, because you know, mm. that's the sort of volume you'd expect on a $50 million market cap. 
you know, sometimes and even they can be more than that. The other thing is, this is a complex business, you know, managing the supply chains and for delivery of flowers, it's not an easy business to scale. So it's not like some yeah, of because the, they die, they yeah, die. Yeah. And there's, you know, it's all sorts of stuff that happens, isn't it? So, yeah. so uh, and then weather issues and so on. So, you know, did they get affected by the floods? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's sort of agriculture in a way yeah and that's difficult they're difficult areas to invest in because you know they can have short periods where it goes really well and then they can have years of woe so from my point of view i it's only got one year history as well so i need to look at it in four years mm -hmm. to okay. set, if I, to show and that's being generous i think yeah. Uh, yeah. given all that you've said yeah. all right, that's right. Mm -hmm. uh, let me just um run you through what we've learned in this past half hour just before we say a big thank you to our guests we are starting with Life360. It is a hold for Andrew. It is a dog for Mark Moreland from Team Invest. Corporate travel management. So Andrew is a little bit suspect when it comes to the broader thematic about corporate travel, whether it comes back. Uh, it is a hold for him. Now it is a buy for Mark Moreland from Team Invest. He sees massive pent up demand. In fact, he's flying up to Brisbane tomorrow. Today. Um, Today, sorry, today. Enjoy your trip. I'm jealous. Um, look, he says it's got the dominant position, and uh, that brings us to Metcash. So margins are improving. It's a buy for Andrew, but it is um, just a mediocre business in Mark's view. He'd wait for it to be cheaper. It's just not cheap enough right now. Fisher and Paykel, it is a buy. Everything's green for Mark Moreland at Team Invest. Not so much. He does say it looks better value now that the share price has fallen, but it's just on the watch list for Andrew Veitland from. DP Wealth Advisory and Lynch Group, it's a no, liquidity is a problem and no, there's just too many things that can go wrong and it's only been listed for a very short time. It's a no for Mark Moreland from Team Invest. Hey Mark, a pleasure to have you in the studio. Lovely to see you. Thanks for coming into the city on your way to the airport. We really very much appreciate it. Thank you. And Andrew Veitland from uh, DP Wealth Advisory, look, go well up there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for living. Thank now, you. if you're watching and you are envious that Lewis and Stacy and Ian and who else, Susie, got their questions answered, you can too. Just email us at thecallausbiz.com.au. You can also tweet to us. Check out that portfolio, as I mentioned, at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.